from the sky Such singing you will hear Never heard by mortal ear To be glorious so I do declare And God's own Son will be the leading one At that meeting in the end Many things will there be missing in that meeting For the mourner's bench will have no place at all There will never be a sermon preached to sinners For the sinner had refused to heed the call There will be no mourning over wayward loved ones There will be no lonely nights of pleading prayer All our burdens and our anguish will be lifted At that meeting when the end There is going to be a meeting in the end In that sweet, sweet by and by I am going to meet you, meet you over there in that home beyond the sky. Such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear. But you'll be glorious, so I do declare. And God's own Son will be the leading one at that meeting. In the air, oh, there is going to be a meeting in the air, in that sweet, sweet by and by. Oh, I am going to meet you, meet you over there, in that home beyond the sky. Such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear. It will be glorious, so I do declare. And God's own Son will be the leading one at that meeting in the end. Amen. Slow it down here just a little bit. Key of D, heart of worship. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. But when it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. But when the music fades and all is stripped away, And I simply come Longing just to bring Something that's of worth That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself It is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And 
it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the pain I've made it. But when it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. The King of endless words, no one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single breath, I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required You search much deeper within from the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you It's all about you I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. But when it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to. Something that's a word that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking. My heart, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, but when it's all about you, it's all about you. We just want to remember Sister Shirley Buchanan and Brother Keith Buchanan. They're at home not feeling well, and Sister Becky Coffee and Brother Parks as well not feeling well. Brother Anthony and Sister Laura Clayville are at home as well not feeling well, and the Bracafties as they're away. We should remember these. And Brother Peter, if you could come, just sing that chorus again. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made. When it's all about you, 
Lord, and we're thankful for a, a fine building, Lord. We're thankful for um, just all the amenities and things that you've blessed us with and provide each and every day. Lord, what we need the very, very most, and what we're thankful for the very, very most, is your presence here this evening with us. Lord, and for my part, I can I can feel it here tonight, Lord, and I'm just so thankful for that. Lord, after a week that's been been so busy, been so full of cares and everything else that, that consumes us, sickness and Lord just the, the trials that persist in our lives Lord what a what a tremendous thing it is to come away from that for just a little while and to commune with you and we thank you for that Father tonight I just pray Lord that you'd bless these uh, these these requests Lord that we hold up before you we think of Sister Shirley who we've been praying for for many weeks now Lord I just pray that you'd raise her up and lift her up Lord Brother Keith is sick Sister Becky and the parks, Lord, several folks out of town in a way, just ask that you give them traveling mercies. We think of those who would love to be here tonight but can't, such as the Smiths and and others, Lord, we just commit them before you and lift them up. Lord, we just want to, again, take a moment and tell you how much we love you, how much we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercies that are new every morning, Lord, and we appreciate that from the bottom of our hearts. Forgive us, Lord, if we've done or said anything that would be displeasing to you, Lord, we just ask that you'd put it under the blood. Father, would you look at our desires in our heart, Lord, and not necessarily our actions. We love you tonight. Thank you so much for these musicians and, Lord, the folks who are helping out with the the service. We just pray you bless them abundantly and bless the minister and speaker as well. We love you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. Brother Lincoln has a special for us, if he would come up.
Let's sing that, uh, goodness of God. never fails me and all my days I've been held in your hand from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will see of the goodness of God all my life you have been All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire In the darkest night you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend And I have lived in the goodness of God All my life you have been All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will see of the goodness of God oh, oh, oh. All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will see of the goodness of God So can we just play it softly though, as we come forward at this time? speed things up a little bit here. Let's put in the key of F. Keep it in the key of F here. I go to the rock. Start with the chorus here. I go to the rock of my salvation. Go to the storm that the builders reject. I'll run to the mountains and the mountain stands by me. The earth all around me is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand 
When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. I go to the rock of my salvation. I go to the stone that the builders rejected. I run to the mountains and the mountain stands by me. The earth all around me is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to the rock. Oh, goodbye world, I stay no longer with you. Goodbye pleasures of sin, I stay no longer with you. I've made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. Made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. Oh, goodbye, world. I stay no longer with you. Oh, goodbye, pleasures of sin. I stay no longer with you. I made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. I made up my mind to go God's way the rest of my life. Praise the Lord. Sounds good. I appreciate these young people and the older people among them who uh, helped out tonight in leading the service and uh, playing a role. I think it's a wonderful thing uh, for them to be doing, and I think it sounds great. I think uh, no interruption in worship at all because... Uh, it's just uh, from the heart, and I think that's a wonderful, uh, wonderful expression of their gifts and talents, and we're thankful for that. So let's have everybody stand tonight. We're going to go right to the Word, and let's look together. <clears throat> I'm going to pull up our PowerPoint here. I'll give you a couple of prayer requests just while we're pulling things up here. Brother, uh, going to Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, Brother Danny Florian uh, and Sister Caitlin were in uh, Boston this past few days for the funeral of his cousin and uh, certainly a great loss to the family. Uh, I remembered him from the wedding, from the Florian's wedding back. Uh, Brother Danny sent me a picture and uh, I remembered the young man and uh, just quite a sharp young man. He was a soccer player and uh, had no uh, idea about any kind of uh, health condition whatsoever. And uh, they're still investigating, I think, just exactly what the cause of death was. Uh, but it was a great blow to the family. Uh, they've arrived back, I think, just today. And uh, Hans is not feeling well, so we want to remember uh, the family as well. I just want to say I appreciate all the uh, texts and notes and emails and food cards and everything else that we got over the last few days. And uh, <clears throat> um, if you don't mind remembering Sister Becky still in your prayers, she's still not uh, well. And... Uh, she just really needs a touch from the Lord. So if you don't mind uh, remembering her, uh, that would be uh, that would be just really appreciate that. Um, she's really uh, gone through it this time, and uh, uh, she'd like to be uh, like to be over that. And we believe that God's a healer of all of our diseases, and we trust in that. 
Isaiah chapter 42. Let's take a reading there tonight just as we begin. And we begin at verse 8. Isaiah writes, I am the Lord and that is my name and my glory I will not give to another. Neither my praise to any graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. In other words, I'm a God who knows the future, as well as the past and the present. And even before things come forth, I'm going to tell you uh, about those things. In other words, I'm going to prophesy, and there will be a group of people in the earth who will understand and hear that prophecy. Sing unto the Lord a new song in his praise from the end of the earth. Ye that go down to the sea and all that therein is and the isles, the inhabitants thereof. Let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice. The villages that Kadar doth inhabit. Let the inhabitants of the rock sing and let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise in the islands. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence tonight and thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have uh, to be able to gather together and worship in the middle of our week, we're committing our every need into your hands, Lord. And we've listed a bunch of requests, Lord, and some folks that are quite sick, and we want to remember them. And I ask and pray, Lord, that you'd move, especially in the cases that are very difficult. Lord, we think of Sister Shirley tonight, Sister Shirley Buchanan. We ask, O oh God, that you would just touch her. She suffered a long time, and Lord, we commit her into your hands tonight. I pray that you would touch Brother Keith and his family, Lord, and uh, also for Sister Becky, Lord. She has suffered long with this affliction, and I just ask that you would undertake for her, Lord, and be her strength tonight. Draw near to her, Lord, and give her that touch that she needs. We commit her into your hands, Lord, and every special request, Lord. You know all about them, and you always know the answer, and you always know what's best. And so we're going to commit our needs faithfully to you and trust, Lord, that you will minister in your own time and in your own way. And, Lord, speak to us tonight, I pray, from your word. We give this little session, this little time in your hands, Lord, and ask that you would draw near to us and speak to our hearts in Jesus' lovely name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. I really uh, hated to miss on the weekend. Uh, I was actually here quite early Sunday morning uh, before anybody got here. I had to get here before the Whitlocks because uh, they arrive usually pretty early on Sunday morning. And uh, I went off and got uh, tested, and then uh, they advised me to go home. Uh, but uh, my doctor cleared me, so I'm safe to be here. And uh, after church, I'm just going to zip out. But I did get a chance to fellowship a little bit with Brother Marcus Becker, and uh, I really enjoyed what he had to say uh, on Sunday. Uh, it was a lot. It was a lot of uh, a lot of material there. It was a lot of good uh, information and good uh, ministry there. So I never got to listen to all of it uh, because I was driving back home, and I intend to go back over it again because there was a lot of good things there, and a lot of things that are very pertinent for our time. Um, always enjoy the fellowship with Brother Marcus. And he always enjoys coming here. He just really feels very comfortable, very much at home here. Uh, as a matter of fact, he didn't want any offering. He said, uh, just take the offering that you may have given me and send it to Ukraine. He said, just let the people over there have it. So he wouldn't take anything from, uh, from uh, ministry here. And uh, he's just uh, that kind of a person. 
Well, let's, uh, let's jump into the topic again tonight, seven things that adoption teaches us here. And I'm going to uh, veer away a little bit. I gave out a sheet here tonight, so we'll, we'll look at that for a little bit tonight. And uh, there's some things in there that are, uh, that are relevant to us. And so uh, in tackling this subject tonight, uh, these are some things that I've really had on my heart. And we want to deal with this. Uh, we're going a little bit out of order, but we want to talk a little bit about how the bride eventually learns the Father's way. It's always a very uh, important thing for us to understand that God has a way and his way is best. It's also true that his way may be different than your way. But you know what? In the grand scheme of things, that doesn't really matter. His way is always best. His way is not always clear to us when he expresses it. His ways are actually higher than our ways. And he has a different perspective on a situation than we do. So he sees a matter differently than how we see it. And he understands a matter differently than how we see it. And he interprets the actions of people differently than how we do. You know, when you think about how Jonah was told to go this way, got on a boat and went that way, Brother Bram says he was never out of the will of God. It's kind of funny because, uh, you know, to us, we look at it and say, well, hey, if that's where you're supposed to go and this is where you're going, uh, then we call that disobedience. But God didn't. And there are things about that story that we, f- we don't really fully understand. Or, in other words, the, the actions of a person, uh, we may judge them incorrectly very easily. And yet God knows the heart. And so therefore we have to rely upon his discernment and his judgment. And I think that's always a really good thing for us to pray for. Now, <clears throat> so we're going to deal with this idea, uh, the, the principle of how God teaches us his way. And it's always better to do things the Father's way. And we'll look at some examples of that uh, here tonight. Now, I, I only have one quote that's a re- repeat, and I'm repeating this because I love this statement so much. Brother Bram says, we got a hero in the Holy Spirit. How many believe that? He's a hero to us. He's one that we can always look up to. If, I wanna, if I'm going to strive to be like anybody, I'd like to be like him. I'd like to react. I'd like to, uh, you know, have the wisdom that he has. I'd like to uh, let him take complete control of my life and uh, all my actions and everything else. Uh, he's, to me, he's a real hero. He's one who uh, redeemed us from the pawn shop. He, redeemed, he, he didn't uh, take uh, good people when he died on the cross. He didn't take them in, in, in consideration. He went to the worst part of town and he found the worst of people. And he found the people who were addicts, they were rebellious, uh, they were uh, sinners of, of all types and all colors and all, uh, all measures in society. They were the lowest of the low. And Jesus went to that part of town. And when he went to that part of town, he found me and redeemed me by his blood and by his grace and brought me to where we are today. And you know, when I look at that, I have, I have to say, that's, that's my kind of person. That's my kind of savior. That's my kind of, of uh, uh, hero. And I, I just love that statement when I found Brother Bram said that. And he came to teach us and guide us into all truth. Do you believe that? And he said, what is truth? And he defines this by saying what it's not. It's not oil and blood and all the other things there. But God's word is truth. And the Holy Ghost will testify of the truth. He'll sympathize with the truth. He'll align with the truth. And he'll agree with the truth every single time. And Brother Bram says, we've got to be careful that we don't let those things fade quickly. Because too often they can. And he said, we fail to realize sometimes what we come to church for. We come to church to worship. 
I was listening as Brother Shalom was singing, did such a great job tonight, and uh, first time he's ever led singing. And uh, that little chorus, we're coming back to the heart of worship. Let me tell you, the heart of worship is a worship, uh, is, is a heart that worships God and has God at the center. And I believe God sees that. When God sees that, uh, he honors that. I believe he blesses that. It's not about hitting all the keys right. It's not always about singing the, the, you know, the most popular song uh, or anything like that. I believe that God looks at the heart to see whether they really are worshiping the right thing. And really whether they have the right thing uh, at the center of their being. And that's what God's looking for. He's not looking for uh, songs. He's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for good performance. He's looking for a heart uh, that is sold out to him. And when we come back to the real heart of worship, that's what it's about. A heart that truly worships God. And so Brother Bram says we can never lose sight of that. It's easy for us to become common to one another. Uh, it's easy for uh, worship even to become common in itself. Uh, but I will tell you something, we should never uh, lose sight of that. And it's good for us to remind ourselves of that. So I, I love that little statement here because we do truly have a hero uh, in the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, I believe that you have this quote on your, uh, on your sheet here uh, in A Hidden Life. It's on the back. Uh, part of your sheet here. And I, 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 I did this because I didn't want to put uh, just one particular statement, the second one here. I didn't want to put all of that on the screen. So I, I did up a sheet and you can, you can keep this and uh, we can even add to this a little bit later on. But Brother Bram's talking about the simple process of adoption here. And he says, now when this boy uh, become of age and he was ready then for his adoption, he's already a son, always will be a son. Nothing changes that. His origin establishes his sonship, right? His origin establishes his sonship. But the process of adoption brings him to maturity as a son. So there's no question about whether he's a son. He is, because his origin uh, determines that. And, and that's, that's already been decided. By mom and dad, that's already been decided. But then when he was ready then for his adoption, the tutor had told the father that this boy was eligible for adoption. In other words, I'm going to hand them off. I'm going to hand them off to you, father. And he was taken out into a public place and he was robed with a robe, set up before the city and seen his father adopt his son into the family. And when he was adopted into the family, already a son, already an heir of grace, but now he's got a placement. And that's what adoption is all about. It's a placing of a son and a daughter. It's not becoming sons and daughters. It is the placing of sons and daughters. All right? So he announces to the town and everybody in there, he says, this is my son. Uh, he's an heir. He's uh, mature. He's gone through uh, some training. And now if he writes you a check, uh, Brother Bam said if they had checks in that day, he said if he writes you a check, his name is as good on the check as mine. And if he makes a decision in relation to business, that's just the same as if I said it. So whatever he does, he stands in my stead as a representative of the family. Uh, he's truly a fully adopted son. And with that comes authority. With that comes a position. And that position is what uh, adoption brings us to. It's a placing by the Holy Spirit as to where he wants us to be. Now, there's a lot we could say about that in relation to the ministry, the fivefold ministry, because they have a really important placing uh, within the body, and they have a very important and specific job. And we'll talk about that in a moment here. And you can't mess that up. You can't mess that up. Uh, you can, uh, you can have a number of people, uh, that can be good song leaders and you can have people that can act as deacons and trustees and they're all, uh, important offices and they're all a blessing in the church. They're all necessary. But when it comes to handling the word, that's a little bit different. 
that's, that's a different category. And there are specific Bible verses uh, that speak to that. And of course, uh, you know, Brother Branham said a lot about uh, a person who handles the Word of God. And so we had to be careful that we meet those qualifications. And as a matter of fact, in handling the Word of God, there's a natural and a spiritual qualification. So someone has to be the husband of one wife. That's a natural qualification. And if I'm not, then that disqualifies me. That moves me from that, the possibility of that position. Right, And they can serve in other capacities in the church, and they can be a good believer, and they can make it to heaven. Uh, God knows all, all about that, and God's going to take care of all of that. Uh, but there are certain things that he would be disqualified for. But if somebody wanted to speak in tongues, there's no natural qualification for that. They just need to be gifted. Right? They need to have that spiritual blessing of being able to uh, operate that particular gift in their life. But they're not excluded because of their, uh, you know, of their condition. A, a, a minister, rather, he has to run his home well. He has to do certain things. He has to be hospitable. Uh, he has to be the husband of one wife and all the other uh, components that are included in there. So uh, there are natural and spiritual qualifications for a man of God. And the Holy Spirit is very interested in placing the right people in front of the right people. The Holy Spirit's very interested in placing the right people in front of the right people. And I am also very cautious about placing somebody in front of this people. Because I look at this people, you, brackets, you, I look at you people as a very special people. Because I believe that God loved me enough to give me you. I believe that. But I also believe the converse is true. That God loved you enough to give me me, to give you me. Do you know, you know what I just said? Do you understand what I just said? <clears throat> so therefore, I, I, it's, it's, a really, it's a really powerful thing what the Holy Spirit does. And the more I study this subject of adoption, the more I realize this began from the day Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden. This has been ongoing. The shaping and the training and the molding of God's people uh, to be in the right position and to take their, take their corresponding role that God has predestinated to them, that's, that's been from the very beginning. And so uh, it, it's something that's uh, a lot broader than what we think uh, in the uh, New Testament sense. And then Brother Branham goes on to say, and when he was adopted into the family, already a son and heir of grace, he was, but he's placed in the family. Now, when he was placed in the family and given his position, then that boy's name on the check is as good as the father's. And I believe that's the, that's the time that the church has arrived at today. This is 1955. He said, I believe the church now, this is a time. In other words, we're moving into that time of, of the, the climax, if you like, of adoption here, where we should come out with truly mature sons and daughters of God. And I believe that's the kind of people that are going to step into the kingdom without death. So we're coming, Brother Bam says, we're moving now into that cycle of time where he says that this is going to produce uh, really true, full, uh, mature sons of God. And I believe that's the time we've arrived at. That's the next great move in the church is for God. But now he said God will place in his church correctly apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, not man-made seminary bought, but God will place into the church not theology runovers, And overnights. But God will place in the church as God has chosen, as the Holy Spirit has, as the Holy Ghost has tutored this church and raised it up. 
Now watch what he's saying here, that God has got his hand on certain men that he molds in a certain way to minister to a certain people certain things they need in that day. And this is arranged by God. So it's probably likely that if you're a female sitting here tonight, God never had you in mind as a preacher. Now, that doesn't exclude home, of course, because you preach there. But uh, in, in, in ministry sense, God does, not, uh, God does not promote a woman having an opportunity to take the pulpit and preach in the church. Right? Are we okay with that? Yes. Some of you look a little, looking at me a little funny, but, <clears throat> but a lot of you brothers are thanking God from the bottom of your heart without making any signs, right? Without making any emotions or... God designed this, this to be this way. And, and there's, a, there's a definite role here for the people of God and for the ministry here to do a particular thing. And God will place that into the church. And he's not talking about people who are, uh, you know, denominational minded. He's not talking about people who are parrots. He's not talking about people who just parrot the company line. He's not talking about people that are uh, just do what everybody else is doing and they look to a, uh, you know, a natural human leader. Well, whatever they're doing in that church, that's good enough for us. And the way that they do things over in that church, that's the way we'll do it here. No, God wants a, a son of God that's led by the Spirit of God to lead this particular people because there's no group of people like you anywhere on earth. I've been a lot of places and the places I haven't been, they've told me there's no, no group like this group anywhere in the earth. And so God gives you a group of people to work with, and you, you uh, develop that talent. You bring out those qualities that lay in the people, the gifts that lay in the people here. And your, my role is, in, is uh, uh, clearly defined as to bring uh, a, a group of people like you into a place where uh, God can deal with you individually and give you the things that you have need of that you may not get somewhere else. That doesn't tie you here to, to this church by fear, but rather we should be thanking God that God knew exactly where to place us. And you know what? We should roll with it until, until God moves us to wherever he wants to move us. Right? You understand what I'm saying? That God, God has got this thought out. And, and God's looking at this in a very, uh, very specific way. And he wants not just any minister because these are not just any people. These are not just any church group. This is a, a, a place where God will choose, God will place in the church as God has chosen, as the Holy Spirit has tutored this church and raised it up. So a lot of that tutoring and a lot of that instruction comes through from here, from the pulpit. And the pastor obviously has a big, big part in doing that. And he said, and there, in there, God will adopt into position his sons. He's in 1955 and he's telling us, hey, everybody, this is where the church is. This is where we're moving into now. And he's telling us exactly what God's plan is. That God will place into the church these men who, uh, who will allow the Holy Spirit to work through them. And in there, God will adopt into position his sons. God's actually interested in placing you exactly where you should be in the body. They're already his sons, but whether they, are, uh, whether they are worthy of the position that he has for them. So God's got, God's got something in mind. Uh, God's got you living in this age. God's got you, uh, you know, under the message of a prophet in this last day. Everybody didn't get that opportunity except the people in the early church. But we are the people that God chose. Out of all the ages, God chose you to be under the influence primarily of the message of a prophet in this last day. 
And, and that, would, that would shape, that would, uh, let's say it this way. There are things we never knew about the Bible until God sent a prophet because a prophet, the word of the Lord comes to a prophet. Now, that, let's just for a minute, just to stop here. That doesn't mean that God can't inspire other people through the ages. Because we know that's not true. God inspired Martin Luther with the right understanding of justification. Isn't that right? He did. He had it right. He, he got a revelation of, of that passage in the book of Romans there, and he knew exactly what justification was about, and he knew that that's what the church needed. But I'll tell you what Martin Luther didn't have. He didn't have the whole picture. He didn't have everything. He didn't have the complete picture, but he had justification. And one of the things he obviously didn't have was sanctification. So God dealt with John Wesley and the ministers of that age, like, uh, you know, the, uh, his brother and uh, Charles and uh, the other ministers of that time. And they, they moved into that channel where they preached sanctification. So now the church has two things that they, can, uh, that they can minister to the people with. But it was not the complete picture. Isn't that right? Most of those people were Trinitarians coming through their uh, era. Didn't make them any less bride. But God gave them a measure of truth. And that's how God did it through the ages until the last day. And God gave uh, inspiration to other people who uh, had in some insight into the scripture. Uh, for instance, I, I often refer to the, uh, the book, uh, The Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink. And A.W. Pink was a Scottish minister. Uh, he was a very, uh, very sanctified, very godly man. And uh, he wrote lots of uh, different sermons and things that we hold dear to our hearts. There's lots of things out of Pink uh, that you've heard preached over this pulpit here because Pink was dead on in a lot of different things. To the, to the point where Brother Branham said that he kept A.W. Pink's Sovereignty of God book by his bedside, had it there for years and years. Because he would read from it when he had opportunity. Now, Pink did not have it all correct because Pink never figured out that God had attributes and the attributes were with God before the foundation of the world, just like sons are in their father and so forth. There was an element of predestination and sovereignty that, that Pink never quite figured out. That doesn't mean that Pink was wrong. He did have inspiration about the part God showed the light on. Are we okay? But when the word of the Lord comes to a prophet, God takes the whole thing and gives it to a prophet to lay out and say, you know what, this is this, this is this, this is this, and this is the first church age, this is the messenger, and this is the year it began, this is the year it ended right here. And he's putting all the missing pieces together. I was talking to somebody today. It's like, like uh, through the ages we had uh, 26 letters of the alphabet, but about eight of them were missing when we came to the, the time prior to a prophet. And sincerely... We had 16 of those letters, but you know what? You don't have a complete alphabet until the prophet came along in the last day and put in those missing letters for us. And, ah, okay, that's what it is. There, that's all the letters that are missing. Are we okay? It doesn't mean that those other people didn't have inspiration. They did. And other people that, uh, that we know of through history and through their studies and so forth, God gave a portion of light and a portion of truth and a portion of it here. But in the last day, a prophet comes and, and blends it all together and gives us that complete capstone picture. I'll tell you what, it's a wonderful thing. I'm glad God chose us to live in this last day because we get to be under that influence. Now, and we know it's a prophet because a prophet lines with the scripture. We know it's a prophet because that prophet lines with the scripture. Now, <clears throat> let me just uh, talk to you frankly here this morning, or this evening. 
there are different ways that people talk about coming to maturity. And even in the message of the hour, even in our community, we have different ideas about uh, about coming to maturity. I, re- I was, as a, as a young person, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I will tell you that they had a regimen about how a young person grew up in the Catholic Church and the things he needed to know. Uh, you came first, you know, you were baptized as an infant, and then they had confirmation. And when you were confirmed, uh, that's when you became what they referred to as a soldier of Christ. And so you began the training process, and you went through different steps. Did your first communion, first confession. I remember all of those things in my years, and they were things to be proud of. They were, uh, they were good things in your, in your journey of faith, you know, when you were in the Catholic Church. But you went from one stage to another, to another, to another, and then you kept moving on up uh, in the ranks of the Catholic Church. But I will tell you that it was wrong because it was all based on the church and their idea of things. There were lots of things. Uh, that they practiced and instilled or put in the, in the training manual that were not biblical, like extreme unction or confirmation. And confirmation happens to be that uh, irregular kind of a, a, a ordeal where you go before the archbishop and he gives you your middle name, right? Everybody know the story? And I went before the archbishop and I had, you had to have your name on an on a index card like this. And your middle name, was that's the only thing on the, on the card was the middle name. And you had to give the archbishop the middle name. He looked it up in his book. And if it was in the, the Catholic book, not the Bible, but if it was in the Catholic book, then he said, oh, okay, you're going uh, to be Alfonso. And so you're Jim Alfonso uh, Labrinsky. And so you, he gave that blessing and off you went. You were confirmed, right? So when it came to me, I had a name on the sheet. And he looks it up. I handed it to him. And remember, I'm, I'm six years old. And I'm looking up at, he's like God to us. And I'm looking it up on the book here. He's looking it up on the book and he's flipping through it. And he's looking, look, it begins with C. Can't find it, can't find it. And he, said, he just simply said, I can't find it. I mean, this is, a, this is an extraordinary case of all people, right? Of me. And, and so I, I'd never heard, we'd never heard that before, that the, the bishop couldn't find uh, the name. And so he just kind of does this thing where he says, well, since we can't find the name, we're going to call you John. Barry John Coffee, And off you go. And I was like, hey, where's the protest flag? You know, uh, this ain't right. And uh, so I, I left without a fight or anything. I, you know, I didn't want to scrap that in front of the whole church. And so I left. And uh, we went and asked the, the, the priest later on and said, do I have to take that name John? I said, I don't, I don't want to be a John. Who'd want? Oh, sorry. I, I guess I, I guess I shouldn't say that. People would call me Jack, right? And I, you know, I didn't want to. Not me. I think it fits in certain cases. It's a, it's a wonderful name. But <clears throat> he said, no, you don't have to take that. So therefore, I don't have a middle name. Officially, I don't have a middle name because it was never found in the book. But all I'm saying to you is that that was a step you went through and it moved you up higher in the ranks of things. The problem was it wasn't biblical. There are people even in the community of the message who believe that Brother Branham's going to come back and do it all for us. They're called the return ministry people. And they're the people who believe that based on certain statements that Brother Branham made out of context, they believe that Brother Branham's going to come back And so, therefore, essentially, everything is on pause until he arrives. 
I don't have any moral accountability. I don't have any accountability at all. I don't even have to go to church. I don't have to become anything. I don't have to press. I don't have to, uh, I don't have to be uh, conscious of my behavior or anything else because you know what? Everything is on pause until Brother Bram comes back. And when he comes back, he's going to do it all. And that's a real thing. That's a real thing. There's, there was a group of brothers who had a plane ready for Brother Branham to uh, board when he got back and uh, travel around the world and minister to everybody the things that he never got finished with and fix everybody's problems and everybody be perfect and ready for the rapture. People actually bought the plane, had the plane waiting. It was a real thing. And that's a mindset that kind of lets people who believe that off the hook from having to grow up. They can kind of be what they want to be until Brother Bram gets here because I don't have to worry about that until he gets here. He's going to take care of that. Well, I have two things to say about that. Number one, I do believe Brother Bram's coming back, but I believe it'll be in the resurrection, number one, like everybody else. Number two, Brother Bram was not the one to bring us to maturity. He never was. I mean, I don't read that anywhere, so I don't read that anywhere in the Bible. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work in my life, right? So, even if Brother Branham did, you still have a responsibility to yield to the Holy Spirit and let him work in your life every day you're on this earth and every day you're in this body. There are some people who believe that, well, all I need to do is listen to tapes. And uh, the tapes will perfect me. That's, that's all I need to worry about is uh, making sure I listen to the tape and perhaps even listening to a tape that everybody else is listening to on a particular day, and that's going to perfect me. And you know what? Let me say that about this. Let me say this about that. Just let me say it, all right? If I could find that, but I don't find it. I've looked. Here's what I find, though, is found in the Scripture. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for... The perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. So the way we come to maturity is not by, uh, not by conforming to some system, or being a part of some movement or anything else. Hey, we've got to be moving in harmony with God's order. And God's order is that you're in a church somewhere. And you pull your feet in under the table and you commit yourself to the cause. You take communion there. You wash feet there. You give your tithes and offerings there. You're a part of the vision of what that church is about. And that's what, that's what Brother that's how he defined it. And he said, in that process, there's a rubbing against one another. There's a molding and a shaping. There, is, uh, there are good experiences that we enjoy together. There are experiences that we learn from that always are not pleasant. They can be painful, but sometimes pain is a great teacher. Till we all come, and this is God's purpose, verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. And that's what God's, that's what God's intent is, to bring us to a place of perfection, to bring us to a place of uh, maturity, and unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'll still be in this body. This body will never be perfect. Hello? This body will never be perfect. And if you think your body's perfect or close to perfect, I'd love to have you volunteer and come up and put all your thoughts today on the board. And then we'll find out how close you are to perfection. 
But I will tell you something, that this is a sovereign work of God. Now, I was listening to, uh, uh, I've, I've studied this uh, because I was over there, and I missed the opportunity uh, to go to uh, the church where uh, Brother Evans, Evan Roberts, uh, was in, in, uh, in Wales. Uh, where the Welsh revival broke out, and I, I this was a, a, a really this is a really a, quite a fascinating story, and I won't go into all the details there, but uh, Welch Evans was a young man who was extremely dedicated to God. He was a person who was kind of born out of due season. He was one who was really uh, passionate about God and loved to see other people who were very passionate about God. It was a really big thing. Uh, for him. And he, in, in his early years, uh, he had prayed and he said to one of his associates, he said, uh, it, would it be wrong for me to ask God for a hundred thousand souls from our own country, from Wales? He said, do you think that would be asking God too much? A hundred thousand converts in our time. He said, just within our own country. And this fellow said, if a young seminarian had asked me that or somebody who was just starting out in the ministry, that would be one thing. But because, uh, but because Evan Roberts asked me that thing, he said, I believe that with God all things are possible. That was the answer that he gave him. And there was a prophecy came out well, years ago uh, when Roberts was just a young boy. He, had, he was still in school and uh, he would become a miner for a little while. And in, in Wales, mining was the, the main occupation for people. And just about everybody went uh, into the mines at one particular point or another. And there was a prophecy went forth and said uh, that in our country one day there will be a miner raise up, an M-I-N-E-R, who will raise up and spearhead a revival in the whole country. And uh, that eventually became fulfilled in the life of Evan Roberts, and we could go into lots of details there. But what was really interesting about the life of Evan Roberts and what he went through uh, was that all of the inspiration that he had and all of the passion that he had was really sparked when he was a young man and went to visit a church a good ways from his own town. And when he went to that church, uh, he had just kind of been a nominal church person up to then, about 15 or 16 years old. And when he went to this particular church, there was a young girl there who was 16 years old, and her name was Flory Evans. And when the preacher gave an opportunity, this girl, Flory Evans, got up, and she just testified of how great and how wonderful and how glorious it was to be a Christian. And she was just, she was like a personal one, one woman revival in her own heart. And she was just bubbling over. She couldn't wait for the opportunity to stand and to thank God for her salvation and just to tell everybody how wonderful a person Jesus was. And I mean, she was, she was just a, a unique, such a unique person. And uh, Roberts had never seen that before. He'd never seen anybody do that. And he just looked at that young girl, 16 years old, about his own age, and he said, Lord, I want that. I want that. And he prayed then from that point on, and this is the way he prayed. He simply said, Lord, bend me, bend me in the direction you want me. Never let me be so stiff and solid and firm in my own way that you can't bend me. And he said, bend me the way you want me to go. Do with me whatever you want, but Lord, you take control of my life and lean me this way, lean me that way. And the whole revival, whole Welsh revival, and his life was changed after that, that night service where we had uh, the young people, and there was lots of young people in that service. That church was known for its young people and their passion for God, and he was just visiting that place. And so as a result of that, he, when he left, his life was changed. And you know what? That's why I think it's not a bad thing for our young people to become involved. 
I think it's not a bad thing for our young people to realize this is not just a faith for adults. This is not just a faith for old people, but this is a faith that anyone can have. And serving God is not a gloomy thing. Serving God is not a thing that's reserved for the, for the reserved, uh, but rather serving God is a thing for everybody who's born again. And when the revival struck, and this was really amazing because uh, they, they said that in, when, when the revival spirit would strike in a town, like Roberts had come into a town, and the people would be so excited. This went on for just about a year, that's all, in, in, in Wales. Just about a year. And when Evans would come into a town, the people would be so excited and be so uh, in anticipation because they realized now this revival's coming. And there's a lot of talk in our time now about revivals, and I have some things to say about that. But I'll just say this, that when Roberts came, in, there was an anointing on him uh, because God used him and he was so willing to be bent by the Holy Spirit, to be used by the Holy Spirit uh, that, that God had anointed him and he brought that presence in the towns wherever he went. And they said sometimes he'd stand in the pulpit at the beginning of the service and everybody would wait to hear what he had to say. And often he would just do this. He would say, let's pray. And once they started praying, and they would, in their tradition, they would pray, you know, like one would pray, and another one would pray, and another one would pray, and another one would go right around the church like that. Uh, the women used to say, hey, we've got to be home by 10 o'clock because that's when the pubs close and our husbands are going to be home by 10 o'clock, so we've got to be home by 10 o'clock. They said in one town, none of the women got home before 3 a.m. because they just kept praying, and the Holy Spirit just uh, moved on them so, so strongly uh, that uh, they kept, you know, they stayed in the church. And they said many times after the 3 o'clock, uh, service was over, you know, it was over at 3 a.m., they'd still be out in the parking lot talking. That's a spirit that never went away, I guess. And they'd still be out in the parking lot until later on. And they were just so excited to be together, so excited to see what God was doing. And there was all kinds of people being saved. They said there were people walked into the church with beer glasses. There was people who walked into church with pool cues in their hand. There was people who walked into church with their aprons on. They were still at work, and they'd walk right into the church because the Spirit of Christ had so flooded that town, it would affect people. And they had a, uh, back in that day, they had a listing in the newspaper of how many people in that town were saved, and how many in that town were saved, and how many in that town. They actually kept a running tally of how many people had given their heart to Christ. And there were thousands and thousands. But I've got to read you this statement here uh, by Evan Roberts. He said, as a result of the revival, and I'm sorry, that's fuzzy over on that side, there is less drinking. Less idleness, less gambling men. Men record with almost incredulous amazement how one football player after another has forsaken cards and drink and gladiatorial games and is living a sober and godly life, putting his energy into the revival. Glory to God. I think that's what revival ought to do in our lives. Revival is not just a tool to get more bodies into the church. I believe revival is that which stirs up what we already have. And I believe God's given us the best in the last of these ages here. And I pray that God would stir in our hearts, that he would stir up what we have and help us to forget a lot of our petty differences and so forth and to really be stirred uh, by the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what, we'd have less people uh, missing church because of sports and all the other things going on and uh, missing church for that or missing church for something else and uh, putting all kinds of other things in front of God. Hey, I just, I'm not saying that nobody's, I'm not saying that somebody's not born again. I'm just saying, God, give us a stir so that God becomes first in your life. 
It may sound old-fashioned, and it may be like nails on a chalkboard uh, to some of you young people, but you know what? I'm still praying for you that God will get a hold of your heart so much that you'd say, hey, listen, coach, it doesn't matter what time the game is. doesn't matter what time the practice is. I just believe that, you know, when the church doors open, that's where I ought to be, and bless God, I'm going to be there. Let, let, uh, let the chips fall where they may. All right, all right, all right, I'll move on. I just, I, I want you to know that I'll be praying that that happens in our hearts because you know what? I, can, I, can, I could guilt you into coming to church, but that's different than you having a passion for God. We can guilt, guilt you into giving more money, but that doesn't turn your heart into a cheerful giver. I will tell you something, when God gets a hold of your heart, your life changes and your priorities are going to change correspondingly. Brother Bram says, now many of you, of course, he said, we'll go back and have your homes today after this service. And he said, we want to say we appreciate you, wish you a Merry Christmas and the best of the new year. And this is what he prayed. God be with you and give you new things. More of the new life you're seeking and hungering for. Somebody say amen. Anybody have that kind of a passion? Lord, give me, give me new things. Give me the things that I have need of. Because you know what? I don't know everything. And I have not figured it all out. And I'm not there at the top of the pile yet. And I'm not rapture ready, ready just re- waiting for all of you uh, losers to catch up with me. That's not my position. I'll tell you what, I want him to reveal things to me. I want to be able to come to church and say, ah, I never knew that. You know, praise the Lord. Those, the, that part of the scriptures has come alive to me. More of the new life you're seeking and hungering for. I'll tell you what, the more of that life you seek for, the more it will match the heaven you're going to. The more of that life we seek for, it'll match the place that we're going to. And to see that you're hungering and seeking for God. He said, that's what I'm doing myself, is hungering for more of God. You say, well, I thought prophets knew everything. Or when I was born again, I knew everything. Uh, I'd preach that if I, if I thought that was right, but I can't find that. I find, I find lots of places where Brother Bram's thanking God for the things he's uh, seeing. The things that he uh, has got reversed in his life, you know, that, that now are corrected. Right, Brother Bam used to think that when you died, you were like a cloud floating around. And he said, but the angel came and pointed out the scripture to me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That, you know, if, if, we, uh, if we pass in this body, there's a body that's waiting, eternal, made, made in the heavens. And, and Brother Bam said, the angel showed me that scripture here. So he said, I had been thinking that way because of mom and what she believed. But he said, now I know. Thank God I know. Hey, even prophets get to know what's correct. And if God can deal with Brother Random like that, how about God dealing with us? All right, take your sheet for a minute. Let's look. Being led of the Holy Spirit, this is 1956. Now, there's a couple of statements in here that you're going to be real familiar with. But Brother Branham's waking up one morning. It's early. Sister Media gets up and she starts breakfast or whatever. And Brother Branham said, I was sitting by the side of the bed, swung my feet over, and I was rubbing my eyes and looked. And he said, on the wall, I saw this vision of a couple of uh, African-like children, two little dark children. And he said, half naked, they were pulling a wagon. And he said, I was, then I, uh, this blended into a scene where he was with Brother Argenbright overseas in a meeting, Argenbright. And he's, he has this, and I'm not going to read all of this, but he has a conversation there where Brother Bram's supposed to come out and preach. They had used his name to get the crowd there. And Brother Branham comes out, and they're dismissing Brother Bam said, hey, why are you dismissing? And he said, well, because we got the offering. And Brother Bam said, hey, hey, what's more important, the offering or the word of God? And they said, oh, we've got this taken care of and left Brother Branham right there and never got to minister. Now, remember now, this is a vision, all right? This is what he's seeing. 
And he said, then paragraph 15, then I was taken off to another place. And he said, I sat down, watch, watch this now. And he said, I sat down and I seen a little baby shoe like a moccasin. And it had a great big string. And I was trying to lace that little eye of that moccasin with that, with that big thick lace. He said, now how many people here are saved, really born again with the Holy Ghost? And then, you know, people put up their hands. Yes, all right. But I was trying to thread this little shoe with this string and all oh, the eyelet was about an eighth of an inch, and the string I had was about a half an inch. And I was breaking the threads. In other words, it wasn't working. It certainly wasn't working. And he said, then I was trying to push it through with all of my heart, and a voice spoke to me and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm lacing the shoe. And he said, you're just using the wrong end of the string. And I looked down on the floor, and there laid the string, went out to a nice tapered end of a, an eighth of an inch, he said, it'll look real nice. And, I, and he said to me, you can't teach Pentecostal babies supernatural things. Now remember now, he's in a vision, right? And he's doing this, and the way he's doing it, he's just fraying that rope, and it's frustrating because he's got things that he's got to get done, but it's not working. He's not going about it the right way. So the Holy Spirit's telling him now, you can't teach Pentecostal babies supernatural things. Now, that tells us a couple of things. And one of the things it tells us is that the Holy Spirit has things to teach a certain people. And in order for that people to be in a position, they've got to come away from what they were in. Because as long as they're bound by the interpretation that's found in that system, you're never going to get that string through. You're never going to get anywhere. I, I wish I had a, I, I'd like to demonstrate that. But let's read on just a little bit farther. He says, you can't teach Pentecostal babies supernatural things. You'll cause carnal impersonations. Now that's true. And I can only say what the vision said. And just then he said, it seemed like it took me off into another dimension. So he's going from place to place in this vision here. Now watch what happens. And he said, I was standing there by a lake, look like. And he'd taken me, and I sat down by this lake, and there was lots of ministers around fishing. And I looked, and there were great big fish. And some of them were just catching little bitty fish. And I said, oh, my, I'm a fisherman. I'll catch the fish. So I picked up the pole that was laying on the ground. And just then, this one, this angel said to me, I'll teach you how to fish. Now, watch now. Here's, here's God trying to deal with this prophet. He's in visions, right? So this is not real, but he's in visions here. But this, this angel now is saying, all right, I know you can fish. I know you can do this. But let me teach you how I want you to do it. So here's a tutoring going on. Is that all right? Yeah. This is a mentoring that's going on. This is, a, uh, this is an adop- part of the adoption process here. I know what you can do, but let me show you what I want you to do. And so the angel, uh, he says, well... Uh, so I picked up that pole, and he said, I'll teach you the fish. And I said, all right. And he said, fasten on the Lord, throw it out in the deep. And I went right out in the deep, and he said, now when you do, let your bait settle down, pull slow first, and the small fish will follow the Lord. Pull slow, small fish will follow. And when you get a strike, jerk it a little bit, not too hard. And don't tell anybody how you're doing it. Keep it still. Don't tell nobody what you're doing. Pull it slow. And when you feel your strike, just pull the bait far enough to scatter the little fish, and the big fish will go for it. And when you get a strike, then set your hook for the big catch. In other words, we're not after the little 
bitty fish here. We're not after the little, uh, the little church things here. But we're moving into something much larger here. We're moving into something much greater here. And you're going to have to have a certain technique. Hey, listen, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a real fisherman. Um, well, I'm not a catcher. I'll go fishing. That's why they don't call it catching. They call it fishing. So I'm not a real catcher. But uh, what I do is I hang around with my boys, you know, because they, they just, they say, oh, Dad, you need to do this. You need to tie your fly this way. You need to do, loop it this way. And then get out there. And I'm just, all the time, I'm just, I don't let them see this. But I'm watching them all the time. That's how they do it. Okay. And then, then I start catching fish because I'm, I'm a good learner. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not really a good fisherman, but I'm, I'm, I watch my boys. So there's a specific way to do this. And that's what, that's what the angel is trying to coach Brother Branham to do. And in the instructions given to him, he says, don't, don't tell this. Don't teach this. This is the way I want you to get this done. Then he says, ah, I understand, paragraph 18. And I threw it way out there, and just as I did, all the ministers run around. They said, oh, praise the Lord, Brother Branham will really catch fish. He said they were going on like that, and I felt real big about it. He's got this. You know what, boys, I got this. Follow me. I know how to do this. And he said, because they were telling me I was a fisherman. So, in other words, they were, he was listening to the angel Tell him what to do, but he was also listening to these ministers, right? And you can't do that. The channel's got to be single, not double. And you've got, you got to be in or out, one or the other. And so here's Brother Branham. He's listening to those guys. And then he says, now I'll tell you how it's done. Here's the way you do it. And the first thing you're supposed to do is pull slow. And the little fish goes to following. And you set it like this. And he said, when I did, I jerked the bait and the hook and the line, everything out of the water. And I looked. I caught a fish, but I was wondering how he ever got the lure in his mouth because it looked just like the skin of the fish was stretched around the lure. It was such a little fish. That's not what the Holy Spirit wanted him to go after. That was not the intended catch. Okay? At the end of the ages, folks, we were not after little fish. We were after the great unfolding of the mystery of God that was reserved for the last day according to Revelation 10.7. Are we okay? So this is not just another age and another set of teachings here. This is the whole mystery of God that's completed. Now, 19. And just then, this one who had been talking behind me stepped around in front of me. And it was the same angel of God that's always spoke to me. Brother Branham said one time to a a brother who told me, he said sometimes that angel would step around in the congregation, sit there in in the pew with a suit on, and direct the whole meeting. He liked to do that sometimes. And so here he is now standing in front of Brother Branham. And he said, you done just what I told you not to do, standing on the platform and trying to explain it and telling the people. And I told you to keep it to yourself. What if? What if this tutor, because that's what he's doing. He's trying to tutor Brother Branham on how to do it. He's trying to tutor Brother Branham into a, a, a bigger catch than, than we've ever had before. And this is going to differentiate him. This is something that's different here. How about, if, how about if he went to the father and said, he can't do it. He can't do it. 
Because that's what the tutor did, right? He reported to the father. Are we okay? That's the process of adoption. So Brother Bram's looking at this angel now who's standing in front of him, and he said, you did just what I told you not to do. So if we can't trust you with this, you know, I'm, I'm reading into this here, but I want, you to, I want you to think about that moment that he must have s- stood there and listened to what that angel said, and I told you to keep it to yourself. Look what you've done. Look at the carnal impersonations, Rose. And I, I hear people say, Brother Branham, oh, the Lord's given me a ministry. The Lord's given me a ministry. Now let me stop and say this to you. That's why the Bible says to us, lay hands suddenly on no man. It's one thing for us to play the piano or lead the singing or something else. But you know what? Even with good intentions, we can encourage somebody into a position they're not ordained to be in. And you will really mess that person up. I'm not speaking about our company here, but I've seen this in many other churches. And I'll tell you what, I've even warned some ministers over my years and said, you know what, you, you, you... Man, a lot of it was because the minister didn't want to speak and had uh, brothers come up in the church and uh, they would hold a Bible study and, you know, just uh, be in the pulpit and taking the word and so forth. And not all of them, but some of them would feel like, well, huh, if the pastor feels like I can do that, you know what, I must be called. And if I must be called, uh, he'll want me to do that again. And they start feeling like, well, you know what, I must have a calling and I must be the... I must be that. I didn't even know that, but I must, I must be called. And they can begin to feel something, and it's not the Holy Spirit doing it. Sometimes it can be the pastor doing it because he wants to take a night off or whatever, for whatever reason. He might be trying to do it for other reasons, but sometimes we had to be very careful about that because here's people now watching Brother Branham. They're looking at Brother Branham and what he's doing, and they're going off and trying to do it. And you know what? There was nobody else ordained to do what he was ordained to do. And so it becomes an impersonation of something that's real. The body doesn't, doesn't benefit from impersonators. And I'm not saying that people who do that are evil or bad. I'm just saying that you have a place, I have a place. It's better off for you and I both to let the Holy Spirit bring us to our place. And then you can function with the blessing of the Holy Spirit instead of trying to pushing against the grain. Does that make sense? So then <clears throat> Brother Branham says, look at the carnal impersonations. And I started weeping. And I took the string and was trying to straighten it out. And just then he looked at me and I was wondering what he was going to do. That's an understatement. And he said, keep your line straight in these kind of times. And I said, yes. So I got the line ready to throw again. And just as I did at that time, he took me away again. And I stood in the air over a great, uh, in, in the air over a great auditorium in a tent. And then he describes the tent ministry after that. So remember now, he's in a vision, and he's seeing this, and God's trying to instill something in him. But remember now, he's got to do it. Listen, he's got to do it the Father's way. And the angel is there to tell him the Father's way. The angel is to show him and instruct him exactly what he's supposed to do. And then when he doesn't do that, you know what? We're going to go back and we're going to do it again, and we're going to uh, make this right. In other words, there's lessons here in the development of Brother Bram's ministry, in the progressive understanding of Brother Bram's ministry. There's lessons he learns all the way through here. Because you're not born knowing everything. I said you're not born knowing everything. 
And we need the word. We need the ministry. We need the body of Christ. We need all the things that God has put in there to help us to grow and to become what God wants us to become. So now, let's go up a few years later. That's 1955. Let's go to 1963. And here's Brother Manum in the seven seals. All right? And he's telling something very important here. Now watch the difference now. Paragraph 318. He said, notice when this taken place, Junior Jackson was standing in a field that had like a big pyramid-like thing that was, some, that was something wrote on the rocks, and I was revealing that to the people. So in his ministry, he was revealing that, and about a year before it happened. And he said, and notice the next thing. I took some kind of a bar, and I cut off the top of that rock, <clears throat> and on the inside was a white rock, had nothing written on it. So now it becomes a little tricky because nothing is written there. You know, it's, it's a little different to interpret that or to give an understanding of that. And he said, and at that time, I started to go west and I told them all, don't go out west, stay here interpreting. Don't, he said, stay here and look on this till I return. And went west for the blast, returned back to the east with the Holy Spirit, interpreting this unwritten word now. So there's an unwritten word. He's not trying to interpret that. He's letting the Holy Spirit interpret that. He's got to go west out there where God, uh, you know, signals the opening of the seven seals. And then he comes back and he's got that definitive interpretation of the what laid in those seals. And he said, now, isn't that perfectly God Almighty? And what I'm trying to say this for, he said, is to show you that we're at the end time. So now you can see just a little bit of a progression here that by the time he comes to 1963 and the opening of the seals there, he's doing exactly what God's telling him to do. And he's not trying to show off in front of ministers. He's not trying to explain everything, you know, based on his own ability. He's not trying to do that at all. He's being obedient to whatever. God says, go west. He goes west. He told the people, stay here. And then he comes back. He's got the interpretation. He comes back and preaches that, uh, you know, in Jeffersonville. And all of that, he's, he's in tune with what God wants him to do. You know what that is? That's a maturing of a son. Now, this is in a spiritual realm, all right? And, and you understand what I'm saying. We all don't have that kind of a ministry. My point is this, is that in our, in our learning process, you know what? We make mistakes. We don't always get it right. We feel like, you know, well, I can take a liberty here and a liberty here, and I can do this and I can do that. But the Holy Spirit's got something specific that he wants all of you to do. He's got something specific that, that will fulfill your place in the body, and he wants you to do that just exactly his way. And Brother Branham comes into that uh, greater understanding. He's pushing away, uh, you know, these complexes that he has and all these different ministers that are trying to pull him and go this way or another way. He's got a job to do and he's focused on that. You know what? That's a son coming into maturity. I'll say this, that as we grow in Christ, and we want to pray this for our young people as well, we want to pray that they get more focused as they grow in Christ. We want to pray that they get more tuned in exactly what God wants them to do and start to think about that even in an early age so that uh, they're, they're like, uh, you know, Brother Evans here, a 16-year-old man, and all of a sudden he's got this little thing that drops in his heart and he just became a prayer warrior, just became somebody who was hungering for God. And this is what Brother Bram is praying right here. May God give you new things, a more new life that you're seeking and hungering for. He did that at 16, 17 years old, and he's seeking that. He turned the entire country of Wales on its head spiritually speaking here, because of his dedication to God. And let me tell you, there was an anointing that poured out and, and affected him wherever he went, and it affected the people in the communities and the uh, cities in Wales. And uh, that country has never been the same. You can still go there and see the church uh, where he ministered in. 
And there are people who are still alive who had parents or grandparents uh, who were in uh, some of those revivals back there. You can still have it on YouTube. You can still listen to their stories about what it was like and what the effect of, of that. And you know what? That's not because a man's got a great seminary degree or he's got this. He's a young man who's in tune with God. He's walking with God. And he's trying to do things the Father's way. He's trying to be obedient uh, to what God's showing him uh, to do at that particular time. And as a result of that, in his obedience, he's affecting more people because when you obey, you affect more people than just yourself. When you obey, you affect more people than just yourself. When a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies have, have peace with him. And when a man fears the Lord, his household is affected by him. Your obedience affects more than just you. Let us focus into the things that he wants us to uh, accomplish and what are the things that he wants us to do. And he wants us to uh, stay focused on that to the point where uh, he can accomplish whatever he wants or he can bend you the way that he wants you to go. I pray that God would give us that kind of a desire. I pray that God would do that. Brother Bram says, I'm looking at a little woman, he says, that come to me with a vision or a dream she had. And he said, I got the interpretation for her. And he said, it's kind of hard to tell that little Pentecostal preacher's wife that she didn't have the Holy Ghost, but she didn't. Part of the training. How would you like to have him for your pastor? But then she received it. Yeah, it ain't speaking in tongues, it ain't dancing in the Spirit. He said, there's none of those things that you can lay it to as being the definitive evidence of the Holy Spirit. He said, it's a death, a birth, a changed nature, changed disposition. Old things are dead, new things become new. All things become new, and the world is dead, and God's new, and God is your life, and the world is dead. Old things are dead, new things are new, the world is dead, God's new, God's your life, and the world is dead to you. I think that's a great, great combination of principles there the old things are dead new things are new the world is dead and god's new and god is your life and the world is dead to you and you know what if you walk with that uh, with that desire in your heart god will continue to show you new things as as we read in our text here in the book of isaiah he will show us things even before they're set even before they are expressed i'll tell you those things i'll reveal those things to you and he'll prophesy those things old things are dead new things are new and the world is dead and god's new hey we should be a kind of a people that are excited about this process because one day we're going to walk into a new body, in a new kingdom, in a new place. And we'll be sitting at the wedding supper uh, of marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll be on that, on, on that sign over there enjoying that, uh, that company of the people who've gone before us, of saints in our church who have passed on, the people in other ages who have fought the fight and have now uh, crossed over into their reward. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of ministers who are over on the other side. To me, there's a lot of them that are over there prematurely. But nonetheless, there's a lot of people over there I'm looking forward to see on the other side over there. I think our, our walk with Christ should not be something that we dread, but rather, Lord, we're looking for uh, the thing now you're going to show us now. You're going to teach us now. You're going to bring us to now. Lord, help me learn the lesson I'm, I'm involved in right now because God's got you here because you're learning this. God's got me ministering on this because he's got something you probably need to know. And I probably need to know. And we need to pass the test until we move on to the next level and the next level here. But we should be excited about that process because one day, one day at the end of the learning process, you know what? We graduate. You won't have somebody standing in front of you and saying, you didn't do what I told you to do. You'll be hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. How do you get there? You get there by learning all the things that God's trying to show us. And having that angel or having that tutor, 
having the Holy Spirit confront you and say, your thinking is wrong. You think you got the Holy Ghost, and you don't. The evidence of the Holy Ghost is a very clear thing. Brother Bram said, what is the evidence? That you believe that I'm he, and he's the word. He said in God's chosen place of worship, when you are truly baptizing them, the true evidence is that you believe him, the word. How can you be a part of him and deny him? Church Age book, Brother Bram says, now we have been constantly saying that the true evidence of being baptized with the Holy Ghost is for the believer to receive the word for the age in which he lives. You can have a shouting experience. You can have uh, a fiery experience. You can have, uh, you know, you can, you can uh, ex- experience an encounter with God in a lot of different places. But I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, the fruit, the real definitive evidence of whether a person's really got it is found right in this screen right here. And on that, we'll stop. Let's stand. Let's have our musicians come, if you will. <clears throat> And you know what Brother Branham was doing all in his ministry, and you'll find this all the way through. Brother Branham, he's trying to correct something. He's trying to bring us to a mature understanding of what the Holy Ghost really is. And if you've got the Holy Ghost, you don't need to get in a prayer line to get the Holy Ghost again. I said if if you're born again, you don't need to get into a prayer line to be born again again. I think it'd be great if we had a prayer line for character. I think it'd be really good for us to have a prayer line for wisdom. My goodness, I need wisdom. I don't know about you. I think it'd be really good for us to have a, a prayer line for, uh, for healing, not only of physical issues, but of every issue that human beings go through. I think it would be really good for us to have a, a, a prayer line for stability. I think it'd be good for us to come together and pray for uh, discernment. I mean, if you're a parent, you should be praying every day for discernment. To know, Lord, what what should I do? How do I interpret this? And how do I deal with that? And, you know, to be led by God. Parents need that today more than ever before. If we're born again, you understand what I'm saying? I'm I'm not being sarcastic here. But if you're born again, you don't need to get into a prayer line because everybody's getting into a prayer line to be born again again. You only need to be born once. Right? I like to say it this way. You're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll only die once. That's the way to go. God's got a specific plan for every one of us. God's got a desire for every one of us. And you know what? He's, He's a great teacher. And he doesn't let anybody fail. Not at all. He doesn't let anybody fail. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Let's sing that little chorus. Uh, Here we go. There's an army rising up. Let's sing that this evening here. There's an army rising up. Let's sing it. Sean, you just jump right in. Crank them up there and let them help me out. I've heard myself sing on the tape before. Rising up. There's an army rising up. Rising up 
every chain, break every chain. There's a power in the name of Jesus. There's a power in the name of Jesus. There's a power.
us pray. We thank you, Lord, for the service we've had today, and we pray that you keep us safe as we travel home. Yes, Lord. And help us uh, follow in your path. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Grant it, Lord. Just keep us safe, and we love you, and we thank you in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sing it as you go tonight. Thank you. Thank you, all of our young people. May God bless you. We look forward to seeing you on the weekend. Sing it again now as you go tonight. God bless you. Yes, I.